Hey, it's Lovett, and I'm on my way to your city. And by on my way, I mean I'm still in the shower, but still, about to head out. Love It or Leave It Live on Tour is heading all over the country. We'll be in Charlotte, Asheville, Boston, Madison, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. And if we're not coming to your city this time, I'm sorry, the country is too big. Take it up with the pioneers. To learn more and get tickets, head to crooked.com slash events. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious... You'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else Tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Pod Save America is Simply Safe Home Security. Talking about how getting to a consensus on anything in this country is, let's say, a bit challenging. I think I sold it that time. I think I sold it. <laughs> so when people all agree on something, it must be pretty good. And Simply Safe has done it. Everyone agrees they're the best home security on the market. Popular Science and PC Magazine both rank Simply Safe the best home security of 2021. And U.S. News and World Report named it best home security of 2020, 2021, and now 2022. It's a lot of bests. Love it. I think you've had some experience with this product. You bet I have, John. I set up a Simply Safe myself, and it has worked incredibly well from the day I got it. I'm a huge fan of it. Really glad. I recommend it. I recommend it when I'm not doing an advertisement. Amazing. I tell people I'm really happy with my Simply Safe. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your home safe, from entry and motion sensors to indoor and outdoor cameras. Simply Safe is monitored 24/7 by professionals ready to dispatch police, firefighters, or EMTs to your home. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash crooked. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash crooked. All right. What a... Incredibly long two weeks to slow the spread that was. <laughs> Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Jane Coaston, host of New York Times The Argument and resident of Navy Yard. Let's go. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Beesworth. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. And also joining us tonight here at the Anthem, comedian Mike Birbiglia and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. All right. All right. So it's been two years since we've done one of these. Uh, so where were we? <laughs> um, all right, Donald Trump. Uh, this week, an unemployed exterminator from Ohio named Dustin Thompson became the first January 6th defendant to tell a jury that he stormed the U.S. Capitol with a violent mob because of Donald Trump's own words. Quote, if the president's giving you almost an order to do something, I felt obligated to do that. The New York Times also reported that shortly before the insurrection began, an aide to Roger Stone held a call with Trump supporters where he urged them to, quote, descend upon the Capitol and promised that Trump would impose a form of martial law to keep Joe Biden from taking office. 
We also learned that the knowledge of Trump's scheme to overturn the election went beyond his inner circle. Uh, a book by Jane's colleague, Jonathan Martin, says that Trump told Mitch McConnell that if Brian Kemp decertified Biden's win in Georgia, leaders in Pennsylvania and Michigan would follow. Uh, but McConnell kept it all quiet because uh, he didn't want to lose the Senate races in Georgia, of course. Um, meanwhile... How did, how did that go? The, yeah. <laughs> Good job, Mitch. Yeah. You nailed it. A plus. You nailed it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, Trump's former chief of staff and uh, Ginny Thomas text buddy, Mark Meadows, um, <laughs> has just been removed from the voter roll in North Carolina as the state investigates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one less voter. Fuck him. <laughs> yes, purges. Yeah. Suppress yeah. his vote. We got him. Look, we honestly, got Mark Meadows. He ain't when, voting there anymore. When the hell Cal Cunningham? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Just saying. Tough. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. You didn't lose by yeah. one. Speaking of text buddies, right? Anyway, <laughs> he's under investigation now. Oops. That's very, that, oh, These that things good. are permanent? Oops. <laughs> All right. So, Jane, I feel like the big question around the January 6th investigation has been just how much responsibility Trump and his inner circle bear for the attack itself. To what extent do you think all these recent revelations strengthen that case? Well, I think that it's important to separate, like, what is a legal argument and what actually happened. Because is yeah. Trump responsible? Like, yeah. Yeah, we like, all saw the tweets. Like, we were all we here. Rally, we yeah. all did this. Like, if you live in D.C., you remember that day very distinctly. Because it was like, wow, there are a lot of National Guard everywhere, and we can't go anywhere, and everything is locked down, and there's a giant fence. Fun. Um, <laughs> but I think legally, I, I'm interested by the Trump made me do it excuse, um, which is, again, like if you're a defense attorney, you are coming up with whatever will work. And so I, I like also the, the note of Trump almost gave me an order. Almost is a very critical word in legal circles, like or or is. But I, I do think that, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I will tell you the almost, it didn't end up working because he no, was found no, guilty No, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. But I respect the attempt. <laughs> um, but I think that here you're seeing the idea, like, when you saw something being put together and you saw people repeatedly saying, like, descend upon the Capitol, let's talk about martial law, like the way, the way people were using words. And then for people to say like, no, 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 we didn't mean those words. I think that there, there's a legal part to that argument of attempting to remove yourself from culpability. But then there's like, yeah, you did it. And then you told us all about it. And then you tweeted it too. Like, this isn't court. I don't have to listen to you. Yeah. Well, love it. Uh some people that believed at the time that Trump bore some responsibility and culpability were uh, Republican leaders, including Mitch McConnell. Um, he went from someone who knew about Trump's scheme and said nothing to someone who condemned Trump after the attack to someone who just told Jonathan Swan uh, that he will support Trump if he's the nominee. He's all in. He's on the Trump train. Um, how much culpability does Mitch have here? And is that a tenable position for him and other Republicans to take? Well, let's, let's start with the second part. Is it a tenable position for Republicans like Mitch McConnell to take? Not for God, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about, but on Earth, no. And, and sadly, not for a good reason. <laughs> it's untenable not because, like, the media will hold him accountable. Don't wait for that. <laughs> it's untenable because the people that will hold them accountable agree with us that Mitch McConnell is full of shit. They just think he's not fascist enough, right? They, they're like, wait a second, we don't somebody who's half in on Trump. 
who will say will support him but not be for the authoritarian parts. We want somebody that's all in. Trump isn't for this nuance. It's not like Trump's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be okay with this Mitch McConnell guy now that he said he'll endorse me. No, they're done. They're done because he didn't go along with the coup for two days uh, in January. Now, as for uh, Mitch McConnell's culpability, I think we have to be fair-minded people. (laughs) Good setup. (laughs) What kind of forbearance do we owe Mitch McConnell for three moments in his life? Mm -hmm. One, December 15th, acknowledging that Joe Biden is the president or has won the election. Uh, January 19th, declaring that the insurrection was provoked by Trump. And then three, on February 13th, uh, calling Trump practically and morally responsible before voting to acquit him in the impeachment. Right. And I have, I have great news. We owe him none. No forbearance whatsoever. Uh, uh, you know, you don't... <laughs> you do not, in fact, have to hand it to Mitch McConnell. You don't, in fact, have to hand it to Mitch McConnell. Look, let's say you have an arsonist. Mm-hmm. And he's sexually aroused by the fire he started in a school. Wow. <laughs> this took a turn. Yeah, very, very. Uh. And then there's a brief moment where he, where this arsonist feels guilty and calls 911 and says, I, "There's a fire in a school," and then obviously remembers himself and calls back later and says, "False alarm! It's a burnt pot roast." As he watches a school in flames crumble before him. What were we talking about? Where's the arousal? <laughs> is that is? Is Mitch McConnell the pot roast? No, no, he's the arsonist. <laughs> Who's aroused here? He's Mitch McConnell. Madison Mitch Cawthorn. McConnell is sexually turned on by getting three Supreme Court seats done right. during the Trump administration. Right. That's the fire he started. The school is us. I'm going to put you Go down to your next for question. Yes. Go to your next I don't question. Think it was a yes or no question. Who's the pot roast? What's on these cards? Yes. I, I think that's. Do you know where you are? <laughs> We're uh, back. <laughs> Uh, so, Tommy, we have, yeah. we have talked before many times uh, about how Trump's two impeachment hearings made for powerful television that ultimately had... <laughs> uh, that's, I'm being very generous. So was the dropout. <laughs> <laughs> it really is good. Powerful television that had ultimately uh, very little political impact. Um, do you think it's possible that the January 6th committee can avoid that fate when they begin these hearings in, in just a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the hearings are the right thing to do. I think the impact depends, not to duck your question, on what we learn. Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's on the January 6th committee, give it up. Um, he says we'll learn about new crimes that are not in the public domain. That's a nice little teaser, a nice little tickler. Like arson? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's like fucking you know, that, a pot roast and a fire. Content, I don't know. Right there. <laughs> that's a lot of content. Um, if the DOJ charges Trump or one of his goons with a crime, that would be news. That would probably break through. But I do think for me, the lesson from the last two impeachments were, I left feeling like there was a divide between people that paid a lot of attention, us, and then you guys, and then the MAGA types who paid attention for a very different reason. And then there were um, a bunch of independent voters, swing voters, or people that weren't really paying attention, who kind of caught the edges of what was happening on TV and what they mostly thought was, I don't like all this partisan bickering, right? Because that's kind of like the lazy thing that everyone can say. So I hope I'm wrong. You know, if, if Mueller doesn't um, kind of screw the pooch and let Bill Barr completely whitewash his report for a week, uh, maybe things would be different, but I, I don't know. I was going to say, Mueller's not involved, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Where's <laughs> that guy? <laughs> Does anyone disagree? Does anyone think that uh, 
we can get these things to mean something? Look, every congressional hearing has been incredibly impactful, and no one can prove otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so Dan... No, I, I think in seriousness, yeah. like, hmm. you have to do it. It's better that doing it is better than not doing it. Yes. These are data points, and the question is, are you actually going to make sure that people know about it? The fact that it didn't work last time is not an argument for not doing it. It's an argument for doing it better. Right, and also, we're talking about this in the context of politics, because I guess that's how I asked it. Um, but outside of that context, it's important for the country to know the full story of what happened when uh, our seat of government was attacked and uh, they tried to overturn an election. Like, that's, a, that's an important story to tell, whether it has no political impact. Especially because the person at the center of it is still obsessed with it happening. Right. Like, he's still like, it's always January 2020 for him. <laughs> like, it will be for the rest of time. And yeah. I don't know, you know, if you follow, like, there was a story, I think, last year where Maggie Haberman reported that Trump firmly believed that he would be reinstalled in August. And National Review was like, yeah, he actually does. Like, he straight up thinks he'll be returned to office. Which, as a side note, is weird to me, because it's not like Trump seemed like he was having that great time as being president anyway. No. <laughs> like, if you can just, I mean, if we've learned anything over the last couple of days, it's like, why can't you just go be rich somewhere else? Totally. Just he go be rich. Ha- well, he can't go hang happy. out. He doesn't know happiness. He well, because it's, it's a vengeance play now. No, but it's just, like, he doesn't want to die and be the guy, he's like, in his mind, he's like, I'm going to go out saying that I, you know, he knows that he didn't actually win the election. Um, Does so he? he? Wants to go- I genuinely think at this point we're in that you weird You think he's moment. made himself believe I it? I think that we've gotten to a point where I th- he has made himself believe yeah, possible, that the yeah. Kraken is still coming. <laughs> Did I just, I feel like I just, even saying that, I was just like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> oh those Sydney words. Right there. I, so no, you're going to summon no, her. No, yeah, no. Yeah. But yeah, I think he really does believe in some manifestation that he, act, that this is all true. Yeah. Well, so Dan, like, there's this debate within the Democratic Party about how much candidates uh, in these midterms should focus on Trump and January 6th. There's evidence from polling and focus groups that it's you know, not a priority for most voters. Um, there's also evidence that most voters, a majority of Americans, believe that Trump bears at least some responsibility for the attack as recent as January 22. Um, what do you think? How, how should Dem- Democrats handle this one? Well, first, I'm shocked to hear there's a debate in the Democratic Party. <laughs> Never had. Yeah, no. We're- first time for everything, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think as a party, we are dramatically overcomplicating the simple. Of course we have to talk about Trump. He's the former president of the United States. He's the leader of the Republican Party. And he is a coin flip away from being the future president of the United States. It's insane not to talk about him. The fact that these focus groups and polls show that voters are not interested in the thing we want them to be interested in is not a reason not to talk about it. It's a reason to talk about it. Like, we know that the only way... Let me put it this way. We know that we can keep the majority in the Senate, we can win a huge chunk of House seats, and we can keep all the key governorships without winning a single Trump voter from 2020. All we have to do is get the people who voted for Biden to come out again. And the way we do that is to remind them of the stakes. And I think the one lesson here is you have to do it. You can't do, like half-ass it like Glenn Trumpkin. You have to tell a story. And that story has to be <laughs> forward-looking, <laughs> right? It can't just be we're going to relitigate January 6th. It's, it's not what happened. It's what could happen if these guys get the reign of power. And that's how you have to work Trump into your narrative. Yeah. And it's, and it's not some like... Oh, what could happen? A theoretical thing. I mean, there are candidates, Republican candidates running all over the country, particularly in key offices for secretary of state, for governor in key states 
who have basically not just pledged fealty to Trump, but promised to like overturn a future election if given the chance. So like January 6th is not something I think that should be framed as just what happened in the past and we need accountability and we need a full story, but it is, there is an ongoing threat to democracy, an ongoing assault to democracy by not only Trump, but now most of the Republican Party that is very real, that if, it, if, if it's not central to the election in some way, even though voters rightly are concerned about the economy, inflation, and everything else, but if, if we don't make that also central the threat to democracy then like what are we doing yeah and i and i do think like i think a lot of times you know we yell at the people who will listen to us it's a lot easier to yell at democrats than it is like feckless mainstream media institutions that are not good at listening to the people uh who are criticizing them but i think sometimes we we take the narratives that are offered to us the right-wing media offers us one democrats are evil and stupid the mainstream media offers us a second. Democrats on the defensive. Republicans have put them on their heels. And we realize that this conversation about January 6th is hard to fit into that. And they don't really want to talk about it because it's not as fun and the truth seems partisan. And so they'd rather avoid it. And so we give in to that. And we try to talk about policies that we know pull better. But that becomes permission for the major institutions that cover politics to go along with what Democrats are saying by changing the subject. And then it's this vicious circle, right? It's a vicious circle where people don't say it's the most important thing. We don't talk about it as being the most important thing. And the country kind of moves on, even as we creep ever closer to a kind of you know, a fascistic right-wing movement taking control of virtually all Republican states at this point. Jane, would you like to respond on that direct attack? I know. I, know. I didn't hear. I, I, I was, felt it. I just. I, I, was, I was talking about a lot of other places. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I like to think that we are not feckless. We are feckful. <laughs> Has anyone ever used the word feckful? I like it. I like it. I think I did it. You coined it. We may make an sense. NFT of it. Oh. <laughs> I'm not talking about the podcast department. <laughs> Love the podcast department. <laughs> Mikey Barbs. I mean, one last thing, thinking about the, uh, the Meadows situation where, uh, you know, Republicans have made voter fraud a central issue now. And uh, it seems like we can only find Republicans who've committed voter fraud, including one who was the White House chief of staff. Um, Republicans, of course, uh, intend to make crime and voter fraud top issues in the midterms, even as people like Trump and Meadow are committing crimes and voter fraud. Um, is this hypocrisy worth pointing out anywhere besides on Twitter or here in a Pod Save America show? I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> it's worth saying crime is bad <laughs> when anyone does it. Like, the idea of, like, you know, I can commit crimes, but you cannot commit crimes. I think that that's something that we saw, like, during January 6th of people being like, no, 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 we love cops. Why aren't you letting us hit you with flags and scream at you and mace you? We love cops. This is how we show how much we love cops. And it's like, no, 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 they hate cops, but we love them. Let us love you. <laughs> and, like, I think that it, it's really important to make the point of, like, yeah, crime is bad. That no one likes crime. Like, I think that there's something to be said of, like, if you are living in a neighborhood that faces crime, that's bad. But also, if you are committing crimes, like, you know, voter fraud, you know, that, that's bad. And also, if you are a black person who votes in a different district and you're sent to prison and you're a white person who lives in the villages and people are like, oh, sweetheart, you just didn't know better... No, like, this is where I think, ironically, like, I don't know. I, I feel like crime is crime, 
and crime is like bad and all people who commit crime should receive punishments and then we should talk about criminal justice reform and talk about prison reform and talk about what an absolute scandal DC jail is, but that's that's a different podcast. It's <laughs> a different podcast. But Can like, I float a crime by you? <laughs> Let's say you're Jared Kushner. You know your mic is live, right? You're the shadow secretary of state. You happen to help your crown prince friend cover up the murder and brutal mm-hmm, dismemberment mm-hmm. of a journalist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you get a two billion dollar kickback six months after you leave the white See, house is that a crime worth talking about that's a crime yeah and so crime is crime okay i feel like you know there, there's really like i feel like crime is crime works as a t-shirt very effective mm-hmm. because the argument seems to be from Republicans that, like, no, 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 like, your crime is worse. Like, it's way worse if you commit crimes over here. But if I commit crimes over here, well, that's different. Yep. It's like when they were like, Don Jr., he's just a boy. <laughs> <laughs> a 40-something-year-old man. <laughs> Yeah. They very much are putting the white and white-collar crime. In this right. oh. there we I think go. in all seriousness, a though, title from I, Dan. I think it is absolutely critical that regardless of what Merrick Garland does or what comes of this, that we talk about what happened on January 6th and what they are planning to do in 2024 as a crime. Because when we use terms like assault on democracy or stealing elections or election subversion, that leans into the media narrative of everyone other than Jane's colleagues that normalizes these as as typical political tactics, right? It is not, look, they found a clever way to win elections by running, it's not like they're running clever ads or invented talking points. It is, they are committing crimes and we should, and we should if we don't use that term, no one else will. You, you don't think a lot of people are just using the word subversion in casual <laughs> conversation? No. Just, uh, well, I mean. Republicans <laughs> divided over uh, intense tactics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, we will be back with more news in just a bit. Hot Save America is brought to you by Tommy John. Hey guys, just because it's spring doesn't mean you have to spend your time hunting for eggs. The right pair of underwear puts all your eggs in one basket and it keeps them there. Oh my I mean, God. Look, that is just no. brutal. I mean, what nope. kind of, what's going on for people that they're losing their eggs? <laughs> Jesus. It's a fair point, love it. Problem I'm not point. familiar with. That's Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Innovations like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Plus, the legs never ride up, and Tommy John underwear comes with a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. Hey, John. Mm-hmm. Guess what, uh, guess what kind of carton I got my eggs in right now? A Tommy John you carton? There you go. It's because you're not just a customer. You're... I'm a fanatic, John. You're a fanatic. You're a fanatic that calls Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. That's actually <laughs> that's a direct... all the time. That's a direct quote. One of life's greatest inventions. Runs around saying this all the time. It's like, shut up about that. Tommy, you want to talk about your balls? I appreciate okay. it. Just want to, want to chime in. With over 17 million pairs sold, men across America love their Tommy John underwear. Shopping and returns are free because every pair is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. It's Tommy John's anniversary month, so whether you're trying them for the first time or a longtime fan, get 25% off site-wide right now at TommyJohn.com slash crooked. Go to TommyJohn.com slash crooked today for 25% off. TommyJohn.com slash crooked. See site for details.
Pod Save America is brought to you by Smith AI. Clients demand an instant response, and now more than ever, they want to connect with real people, not voicemail. If you're losing leads from your website or missing calls that could grow your business, you need to delegate those frontline conversations to the best receptionist service, Smith AI. Smith AI provides highly skilled, real receptionists to all types of businesses, big or small, and they will handle your calls, chats, and texts to help you win new business 24-7. Smith AI is not your average receptionist service. Since 2015, they've recruited the best English and Spanish-speaking receptionists across North America. Smith AI receptionists are friendly and professional and will screen and qualify leads using your custom criteria, schedule appointments on your calendar, and call back potential customers who complete your online lead form. Smith AI receptionists can handle all your calls, after-hours calls only, or just your overflow calls when things get extra busy. They do it all by phone seven days a week and also on your website through their 24-7 live chat service. They even answer texts and Facebook messages. They integrate with your preferred software, Salesforce, HubSpot, Calendly, Zapier, and thousands more. You're always in the loop. Plans start at just $240 a month. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why business owners say Smith AI receptionists are their secret to business growth and client happiness. And our listeners will save $100 when you sign up using our promo code crooked at smith.ai visit smith.ai to read five-star reviews and be sure to use our code crooked c-r-o-o-k-e-d to save a hundred dollars at sign up don't let another day go by try smith ai pod save america is brought to you by keeps more than 50 million men in the u.s suffer from male pattern baldness don't worry keeps can help keeps offers a simple affordable and stress-free way to keep your hair they got convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You don't have to leave your home. They got 24-7 care and support. Keeps has a network of expert medical advisors, prescribers, and care specialists to support you in making your hair goals a reality. It's also low cost. Treatments start at just $10 per month. And Keeps offers generic versions of the two FDA-approved medications to prevent hair loss. You know, I met the, uh, some of the Keeps people. You did. They came to the Austin show, and I pitched them on my tagline, hair. It's either leaving through the drain or it's leaving on your head. What'd they think? Eh, it didn't get a good response. Really? I mean, they smiled, I think. <laughs> I thought that was one of your better lines. I think so. It's for billboards. Keeps has everything your hair needs delivered straight to your door with discreet packaging and proven results. I mean, whether they like the line or not, it's part of their ad. It it's, is now. It's, it's part of their ad campaign. You bet it is. Remember, prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so act fast. When it comes to your hair, save more, spend less. Lovely, lovely people that keeps people. They were like, they look like werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> never seen anything like it <laughs> if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss go to k-e-e-p-s dot com slash cricket to receive your first month of treatment for free that's k-e-e-p-s dot com slash cricket to get your first month free k-e-e-p-s dot com slash cricket now it's time for OK Stop the rules are arcane, opaque, and inscrutable. Most people don't know this, but I found the first OK Stop video on a scroll in the Crooked offices. A little bit of brand lore for you there. For those who have not played, the rules are this. We will watch a video, and when we have something to say about it, we will say OK Stop. What would happen if a radish was brought to life by a genie that had just read Mein Kampf? (laughs) Well, his name is Charlie Kirk, and he works... (laughs) for a fascist organization called Turning Points USA, and he had some ideas about real estate. Let's roll the clip. We have a huge housing crisis in our okay, country. Stop. The likes okay, of stop. Okay, stop. I would like to note here a couple of things. One, if there were any justice in the world, we would not know who this is. Yep, for sure. Very good. I, Very good setup. I long to live the, 
one of the things about the Trump era is that it just introduced all of these people into my mind, and I want them out. <laughs> I want them all got like Kellyanne Conway. I don't care about your marriage. No. I don't know. I don't care. You know what's amazing, actually? It actually was like the worst possible outcome, which is this. Trump runs. Nobody that was considered respectable would be part of it. So all the kind of just detritus from the Republican movement just got the big jobs inside of the Trump organization. Then he wins, and all the scum-sucking, craven bastards outside were like, well, now I want in. There's power there. So basically, the dumbest, worst people then also were kind of buttressed by the old hands that all came in after. And now we have to know who this fucking asshole is. <laughs> Let's continue. I've not seen in a long period of time. But I believe that we need to build horizontally, not vertically. It's one of my speeches. Developers don't like it when I say this, but it's true. Okay, the stop. The... <laughs> uh, developers. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Do you think he, he, he knows a lot of developers? I think, think he's just going up being like, you there, developer, you're going to hate this. Developers hate this one weird trick <laughs> for turning the country into a strip mall. <laughs> Let's continue. Building the more liberal the voter. It just is. So, and if you are, the closer to the ground you are, the more conservative you are. We should, we should encourage people to spread horizontally and not vertically. Look at Denver. The higher the high rises, has Denver become less free? or more free. It's become a dystopian nightmare. Okay, stop. I really like this politics that appears to be based on the book The Wind in the Willows. <laughs> <laughs> Badgers and moles, they're down. They stay down. Mm -hmm. They wear their bow ties. Uh, I have to ask, where does he think Donald Trump lives? Yes. <laughs> you know those famous... The, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> Listen, we're doing great, people. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got, John? I just like this is so. This is like one, this is his stump speech. He goes around and talks about high rises and that the higher the this is a thing now. That the higher the building is, the more liberal you are, and the lower the, that's a thing. That's absolutely right. Shit, it's that's um, another thing. My view on this is that conservatives need to get even lower. <laughs> forget, forget ground level, underground. <laughs> that is where the real. That's where the real. <laughs> That is where the real right-wing action has always been. Caves, orcs, <laughs> sex dungeons. That's, that's where real right-wing conservatism, as it does its best work, deep, deep underground. Okay, let's go. To know that. Now you might say, Charlie, that's a correlation of the causation. Think about it. If you're on the 32nd floor renting, not owning, if you're not in the weeds and in the yard and understanding what it takes to grow food and to maintain the land, are you going to be more or less likely to actually be a conservative? Okay, stop. Charlie, buddy. <laughs> you, you, you really had something there with correlation, not causation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was onto it. Yeah, you're, you're so close to figuring out. You almost cracked the code. <laughs> you're like, wait a second. Maybe ice cream doesn't cause sunburns. <laughs> Maybe it's somehow connected to a third reason. Something that happens seasonally. I, I see a connection between Christmas and snowstorms, but I can't figure out what it is. <laughs> also, I just, I, I really, I want to know where we got into tilling the land talk mm -hmm. from Charlie Kirk, noted. Does he till the land, would you guess? <laughs> he's, not, <laughs> he's not doing a lot of weeding. I'm, I'm just going to guess here, especially because it just is like, the it's just like word salad, but it's not even a good salad. No. <laughs> 
He's not a big fan of renters either. He, no. he, Charlie's like, you know who should count more? Landowners. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we think of that earlier? What if only landowners had political power in this country? I'm Charlie Kirk, and that's my idea. <laughs> Can't believe we haven't thought of that before. It's an original. It's a fir- first person to think of it. Very good. What if just the landowners, just a certain kind of landowner, right. mm-hmm. maybe one per household, <laughs> I also think you're being very unfair to Charlie Kirk. He knows a thing or two about uh, uh, dirt. He's buried a lot of bodies in his mother's backyard. <laughs> wow, okay. Just something to think about. Just something to think about. Should we continue the clip? The higher the building, every single study shows they become more liberal over time. It's happening in Phoenix, happened in Denver, happened in Atlanta, happened in Dallas, happened in Chicago, happened everywhere, and yet few people actually say that out loud. Whatever. <laughs> Does he think this is like a brave truth I, that yeah. no one yeah. is like? <laughs> Few people are willing. No everyone's <laughs> thinking it. Everyone's thinking Why? it. No Every one's no one it. else say it out loud. Every nope. study has told us about the notorious liberal heartland of Dallas. When I think, I mean, that's also yeah. like have Dubai. You, yeah. Have you ever been to like? Have you ever <laughs> seen Jerry World? It's very tall. Noted woke stronghold, Dallas Cowboy Stadium. John, did you know? Did you know what had happened to Denver? De- like, I didn't know that Denver had become a dystopian nightmare. It's like Denver collapsed. We didn't even read about it in Punchbowl. It was like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Denver's lost. Denver, didn't what make happened the, to Denver? Didn't it's did, so sad now. Didn't make the, didn't make Axios. Didn't make yeah. <laughs> didn't make even the a, end of playbook. It was always <laughs> a birthday. It didn't even get with the birthdays. I, it's also uh, there's also just so like we're so again because. Republicans just for some reason got to be the antagonists in our political system and Democrats have to be the protagonists. They're allowed to just be like, fuck the cities. They're full of assholes and everybody knows it. And there's just no, there's no compliment on the other side. We're just not allowed to have the same conversation. They're allowed to roam the country just making things up about, about America's cities that were just violent hellholes full of tall buildings filled with communists. Oh, we, <laughs> would, would, would that it were. We should just attack rural areas. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Anything else, Dan? Should we finish the clip, or did we already did that? We did it. I think we did. Is it done? Yeah, it's done. Yeah. Did I have any other jokes I wanted to tell? (laughs) (laughs) I I just, again, I really, if you told me that there was something that we could do that would mean that I would never need to think about Charlie Kirk ever again, I'm in. I'll sign that. Let's do it. That's great. One of those men in black things. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we missed one. Ready? Everybody ready? Yeah. A lot of us, liberal and conservative alike, did a fair amount of horizontal growing during the pandemic, I'm just saying. (laughs) And that's okay, stop. All right, let's talk some more news. Uh, Seven months out from the midterms, uh, voters keep telling pollsters that they want their leaders to focus on the economy. But Republicans seem intent on fighting culture wars everywhere they can. Uh, In the last year, right-wing attempts to ban books have hit an all-time high. Uh, In Oklahoma and Kentucky, Republicans just banned all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest. In in Florida, uh, Republicans are threatening to retaliate against Disney, the state's largest employer, for merely speaking out against a new law that targets gay and trans kids. Uh, Senate Republicans used uh, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings to question the Supreme Court's 2015 decision to legalize same-sex marriage and attack the judge's mainstream sentencing record as soft on child abuse, a charge that was picked up by Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now 
calls Democrats the, quote, party of pedophiles, uh, as well as various right-wing pundits who are accusing Democrats of being groomers. Let's take a listen. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. Groomer. Groomers. Groomer in chief. Grooming. Groomer. Groomer. Grooming. Groomers. Grooming. Groomers. Groomer. Grooming. Grooming. Groomer. Grooming. Grooming. Groomers. I think that's enough. Yeah, that's, yeah. Grooming. Half of these people wouldn't know a hairbrush. They are on message. They are all on message. Jane, it seems like Republicans now want government to dictate what we read what our kids learn, who we marry, what women do with their bodies, and what political beliefs private companies should hold. Like, what do you think happened to the party of uh, individual liberty and limited government? How much time do you have? <laughs> you know, well, I, I, first and foremost, I think that you know, the biggest thing has been that people do things, and then people get mad at the people who are doing things and want them to stop. And I think that the entire, I mean, I've talked a lot about, I've written a lot about American conservatism, and American conservatism has always been this weird grab bag of people who normally don't like each other, but they hate other people more. So they're like, all right, we'll hang out for now. And I think the biggest thing, though, has been that when people have used freedom and used limited government, and they've been like, I am going to be free to be who I am and marry who I want, other people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't mean that. That's when you see that like Marco Rubio is going after Amazon. He's not going after Amazon because they make people pee in bottles. It's because they're quote unquote woke. Like you'll notice that like all of these Republicans are not standing up for unions. They're standing up for like union-esque. It's (laughs) sort of like imagine if you went to like Ann Taylor Loft, but it wasn't Ann Taylor Loft. It was like Ann Taylor Loft adjacent. That's what they want to do with unions. And so I think a lot of this is about the means by which we control three things. Kids, sex, and the idea of any of those things intersecting. And I think that the real tragedy here is not what this is going to do to people politically, because we're allowed to swear here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In these issues, I don't give a fuck about the politics. Like... Like, the idea... Like, they're like, oh, no, no, this this Florida bill, it polls well. I'm like, lots of things poll well. Trans kids matter more than your polls. Like, I was, I was a queer kid in Ohio in the 90s. I did not poll well. You could not have. Whew. I didn't get to poll at all. <laughs> Indeed. But, like, the idea here... How to wait till college. <laughs> you got to do it in college? Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> but, like, the idea here, and it's like, you hear about this, and it's like, it, it was also interesting how this became this weird kind of, you know, it went exactly the way everybody thought it would go, where it's like, no, 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 we're just really concerned about gender identity. And then it suddenly became about gay people, because of course it did. Of course the people who really hate trans people aren't like, no, we're totally cool with lesbians. No, we're, no that's totally fine. No, it wasn't. Like you heard uh, earlier this week, Charlie Kirk being like, well, we gave them marriage, and now they want to come after your kids. And I'm like, okay, Anita Bryant. Let's bring it back to 1978. But they also, but they now they want to take marriage back. I mean, right. like John Cornyn sitting Over in that hearing. Over my dead body. Like talking about Obergefell. I was like, what no. the fuck is this? <laughs> no, 
No, silly billies. No. I pay married joint taxes. You can, no. No. I mean. Like, no. I would say, Tommy, like, uh, these positions are morally abhorrent, and you're right, fuck the politics. I would also say, though, like, do you think Republicans, like, that these are all wedge issues now that are going to help them politically, or have they overreached on a lot of this stuff? Yeah, no, I, I think to Jane's point, I mean, culture wars have animated the Republican Party for a long time. I mean, Trump was like a special breed of, did, did we all call him on the show a truffle pig for culture wars? I think that was, I feel like I'm stealing a joke, but he just sure. sits around, he finds a fucking thing. But he also thing. was the person who was like, I'm the most uh, pro-LGBT person well, ever. Well, he's a lying and sack then, of yeah. shit, too. Yeah, yeah and there's that. Well, yeah, that. But, but also the fact that, like, the moment he was out of the picture and just so focused on January 20th, you have all the social conservatives who are still mad about the Bostick decision before the Supreme Court and all of them being like, we're going to reassert ourselves. Right. And, like, welcome back. Well, it, yes. It, to your, like, your point is exactly right. Like, this isn't new. Right? When people are unsettled by change, whether it's, like, women in the workplace or gay rights or civil rights, you see this sort of backlash or this reactionary conservative party. And I, I think the things we need to remember are... One, like you, you mentioned Anita Bryant, right? She was a nightmare of a singer, celebrity who ran anti-gay campaigns in the late 70s in Florida where she called gay men groomers or said they were recruiting kids. The point I would say is we won that fight, right? And we can win it again. The other thing I'd point out is like, you know, anti-choice campaigners, that was not the core of the GOP until fairly recently. It was sort of like a post-row, like late 70s, 80s thing what happened is they organized. So we just need to organize just as much as they did. And so I do think they've overreached on a lot of these issues. Like the Oklahoma anti-abortion law you mentioned, um, there's no exception for rape or incest. Doctors can get 10 years in prison for performing an abortion. I mean, 60% of the country supports abortion rights. Um, you mentioned Cornyn, John Cornyn mentioning rolling back the Obergefell decision and, and taking back gay marriage. That polls at 60%. Mike Braun, senator no one here has ever heard of, Indiana, I believe, yeah. he, he raised concerns about interracial marriage and whether that should be an issue left up to the states. Like, I forgot to bring that one up. Yeah. That is fucking crazy, crazy stuff. I'll be sure and let my parents know. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll get right back to him. Yeah. So they get, think we, they we better to, keep their heads on a swivel. Yeah, we have to lift up. The, like they, they frame this as, oh, we're saving the kids, this and that. Like, That's bullshit. We have to lift up these more extreme voices and highlight that and say that is the future. This Oklahoma City anti-choice bill will be brought to the rest of the country if we don't fight now. But I, I want to also be really clear here because I think that it's important to note here that, one, when you hear someone talking about the Florida bill, HB 1557, and they refer to it as a sex ed bill, it isn't. It doesn't mention sex ed. You could still tell any kid you wanted to any number of whatever heterosexual people get up to, but you just can't mention sexual orientation or gender identity. Right. And it's interesting how every conservative writer is like, oh, you couldn't talk about explicit sex acts. I'm like, I see where your mind is. I know what you're up to, but it's very important here that the, the clear implication of how conservatives talk about this bill is that if gay and trans kids did not know about LGBT life or people or history, they simply wouldn't be LGBT. As if every single LGBT person was straight until someone like waved something in front of their face, until we all accidentally walked into a, a screening of Paris is burning and we're like, <laughs> we're in. It's um, but it, that I do think that like, it it is like just a. I think sometimes we just we we spend so much time just sort of pushing back against this, and you're right. Like 
uh, this is a moral panic. These are several moral panics overlapping each other. No, it won't do anything to stop the gay kids from being gay, and it won't stop the trans kids from being trans. It just makes pain for them. Right. It makes pain for their gay teachers. It makes pain for their supportive parents. This is about extracting pain. Right. And so in the end, of course we win. Of course we win. Those kids will grow up and discover who they are and figure it out, even if it means they have to go through a much more difficult childhood because they are showed a world in which they don't get to exist when they're outside of it. Well, the worst part is that some of those kids won't make it. And that's the thing. And some of those kids won't make it. They like, Uh, you don't have to applaud that. Like, but but they just won't. But, but the point being, because it's false, because it's a moral panic, it can't succeed. It can only hurt. It, It can, it can fail by hurting a lot of people. That's all. Well, and Jane, to your point about how there's a lot of conservatives who say, oh, it's about, you know, we don't want really young kids learning sex ed. So uh, a Democrat in the legislature offered up an amendment to the bill, and the amendment said, okay, let's just use this language, no sex ed at all for kids K through three, right. and the Republicans voted Yep, they said no discussions of sexual activity, and Republicans were like, nope, nope, that's not what so, we mean. Nah, that's not, not quite the spirit. specific enough. Yeah, that's not the that, spirit of the bill. And like, no, we like, know what the spirit, the spirit of the spirit legislation is. The spirit of the bill is. is gay teachers need to be fucking terrified that if they mention their spouse or just describe different kinds of relationships that they can be sued by the worst mom in the fucking class. That's what they want to be afraid of. They and, want everyone, the, they, want, they want teachers to go to bed afraid. They want being a teacher to be terrible because ultimately they want to undermine the public schools and make them so rancorous and so awful. They want every school board meeting to be a fucking nightmare, every PTA meeting to be a nightmare, every teacher to think this, this job of service, this thing that they do because they care about kids, they, they want to make it so awful, so terrible that only that fewer and fewer people go into it so that ultimately the public schools fall apart so they can privatize one more aspect of community, destroy one more aspect of our society. That is the goal. And also, let's keep in mind that there's a similar bill going, attempting to go forward in Georgia that would do the same to private schools. It would be essentially don't say gay in private schools. Because again, this parental right of action, you'll, you'll hear from some conservatives saying like, oh, that's not what the bill will do. Well, it's a parental right of action, so we'll have to find out in court. Right. Again, limited government, private school supporters. I've right? always yeah, said that, big... you know. Love that, free speech. Love, yeah, right. You know, conservatism relies on going to court a lot. <laughs> So, Dan, there was a Vice piece this week about the party of pedophile attack in which a few elected Democrats said that they don't want to, quote, give the attacks oxygen and that, quote, the best thing Democrats can do is ignore the attack and focus on the pocketbook issues that polls show Americans care about most. Are they right? (laughs) (laughs) Any piece of political advice that begins with ignore the attack should be ignored, right? That is just <laughs> there you go. If there ignore was the, a, ignore it, the attack. If that was an era, if there was an era in which that worked, it was not a. It is not now, and not anytime which we remember. So, I do think it is important that Democrats not accept the premise of the argument and run their ads. That's that just we don't want to repeat the attack, right? You don't want to all of a sudden instead of talking about. Hi, I'm not a pedophile. Yeah, I want to raise. I would like to raise the minimum wage. That's a bipartisan bill. I'm no expert, but I am. Very anti-pedophile. No, that is, not, that is not a good approach. But I think we have to take, and we can't get like, wrapped around the axle about this one element of it. We have to take this culture war on full bore because it's idiotic that we divide the world into culture wars, which are terrible and bad and divisive, and policy issues, which are what we should talk about because we serve spinach as a party and you will like it. And think about... <laughs> 
great. Another great message. Yes, that's right. Well, I would not put it in an app. Would but not put that in an app. It is like I've seen that poll that says that a slight majority of Floridians like they don't say gay ball. That is a shit poll. That is because that poll is asked on Ron DeSantis's terms. Here's what we know. We know that all across the country, these issues of the problems they're adopting on abortion, on gay rights, trans rights are unpopular. And even for the, the populations who may be sympathetic or concerned or anxious about some of the changes in our society, they do not think this is the thing we're supposed to be fucking focusing on right now. And that is the argument. If, if your opponent adopts unpopular positions that are directly removed from the things people should be focused on, you have to talk about it. And you have to highlight the fact that they are doing these things. So I think we have this sort of learned helplessness sometimes as a party that we're going to run away from these things because this is where Republicans are strong. It's actually where they are weak because we don't make them pay for it. And so I hope that we aggressively take these on throughout the country. It's the morally right thing to do, but it's also the politically smart thing to do. I also think it's worth for Democrats for saying like, because I think that we talked a little bit about book bans. And I think that in a couple of states, like Democrats have led the charge in some areas of California on attempting to remove books like To Kill a Mockingbird and other ones. Like you can't, no, no, no bans, no bans on books. I don't get that, why? Yeah, why I, no, it, that? and especially because again, this is about an idea of kids that is separate from what kids are like. We've all been children. Have you met children? <laughs> they ask weird questions and want to read real weird books. <laughs> And that's awesome and cool, and we should let them. And I think that it's very important to have an ideology and to have a politics that says books are good, book bans are bad. And yeah, your kid's going to read some stuff. Like, I went to Catholic school, so I read a lot of stuff that was weird and scary and I didn't understand, and it was called the Bible. <laughs> and look, Shit goes down in that book. Again, like... I promise you, I'm no pollster, but I promise you, if you go around telling people that Republicans want to ban books, that Republicans have talked about uh, rolling back interracial marriage and gay marriage, that is not going to be popular. It's not just something you don't have to be afraid of. It's something that you should actually talk about and go on the attack of because that is not a fucking popular position in most of the country. Right, right. right across the board, jailing teachers, investigating trans kids, jailing doctors, doctors, doctors and doctors women. And nurses and te yeah, going after some of the most beloved people in our society. Uh, not popular. Just it's a miss. Um, <laughs> it's a miss. Love it. NBC reported new polling today that shows voters uh, are much less inclined to vote for Republicans when they also, another thing they hear about them, uh, Rick Scott, the guy in charge of winning back the Senate, uh, has a plan. Everyone should be talking about Rick Scott Everyone all the time. We're all going to leave here talking about Rick Scott. Every time he leaves the room, people should be like, where's Rick Scott? Where's Rick Scott? Because Rick Scott, Rick Scott decided to uh, come out with a plan, uh, much to Mitch McConnell's chagrin. I don't agree with that. I think he loves it. I think it's <laughs> a, a Republican plan. That will raise taxes on 100 million Americans and eliminate all federal government programs within five years, and then, and then we're supposed to like, uh, re-up them if we want, because Congress passes all kinds of laws all the time, um, including Obamacare, Medicare, Social Security. So we've got a Republican now, the guy who's in charge of taking back the Senate, who's out there proudly supporting a plan that says, yeah, I'm going to raise taxes on 100 million people and end Obamacare, Medicare, and Social Security in five years. Not popular. So the poll, surprise, surprise, found that a lot of people, swing voters, everyone, found that um, when they heard this plan, they were much less likely to vote for Republicans in the midterms. I think... <laughs> Yay, polls! Sometimes <laughs> politics is hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> I think the question is, if you are... 
if you're a democratic campaign, if you are an activist, if you're an organizer, like, it seems like this is a message you might want to break through. Um, like, is this more, like, you only have limited resources. What do you focus on? Do you focus on this message? You're getting all these, these culture war attacks that we were just talking about from Republicans. Like, how do you navigate this and still break through with a, with a message that we know is pretty devastating to them? You know, we, we were talking about this backstage, that one of the most unpopular moments in Trump's entire presidency was when he was actively fighting to repeal Obamacare. Uh, I think this is, the fact that the Republican plan is to take over the government and sunset Medicare and Social Security uh, while raising taxes on virtually everyone uh, who is not rich, uh, should be the core of our message, should be the thing we say every day, it should become famous, and that, that, that will happen with, with discipline, everybody repeating it, everybody being on the same page. That is the, you know, as Biden would say, don't judge me by the almighty, judge me by the alternative, that is the alternative, that must be the core of it. However, I think we should not pretend that we're going to avoid all these culture issues, as Dan said, they are interesting. They are fun to talk about. Ron DeSantis attacking Disney is fun and interesting. It is stupid and dumb and entertaining, and we will talk about it. And, the, and I think one thing that we, we, we have always said is you have to call out the game, and I think we have to call out the game in two ways. One, they're trying to distract from their deeply unpopular agenda, but also because these are moral panics, because these are false, I think sometimes we get a little bit too much in the politics and not enough about the consequences. The story in the Texas Tribune, because they are attacking trans kids, there are real cases of abuse that are going unpunished. Because Greg Abbott decided to create us headlines by stopping trucks, real businesses, real, real companies, real people are being imp imp impacted by these, these, these shortages because of the, the, the traffic and food rotting in trucks in the supply chain. Uh, because uh, they scapegoat voter fraud uh, and do it all across the country, a random person will be arrested because they had court fees outstanding in some district and they had no idea. And so they get wound up in this fucking ridiculous process of being, being told they're the problem, they're the voter fraud. And so I think talking about the fact that A, this is a distraction from their agenda and B, they're causing real harm to people uh, because these are completely false and misleading attacks because they actually don't care about the consequences of their actions is the thing that is just what I would be talking about. Um, we've talked a lot about these culture issues. Uh, Tommy, before we move on, I believe there's, there's one more critical issue that you wanted to raise. Yeah, look, I, I just think there, there's culture wars, and then there's culture wars. Some people are doing it kind of half-assed, and some people are doing it right. And I just think we need to be mindful of the attacks that we should be worried about and that are going to land, and that we need to think like, extra hard about like, how to prepare for it. So we have a clip of that for you. Disney has for the longest time been a children entertainment institution. This is a gift card taken last week at a Target store. What do you see? What do you see in that? What do you see in that? What do you image? see? Do you see Minnie in a dress? Or do you see Mickey holding a penis? <laughs> the people at Disney are pedophiles. The people at Disney are pushing a satanic, godless, child predatory perspective okay stop for those of you at home for those of you at home what he thinks he sees in a picture of mickey and minnie mouse is mickey holding a big blue cock now i when i saw this doing a little research for a, a youtube show i do called tommy, a little gets, research. tommy gets yeah. red pilled so yeah I, I was just going deep on youtube well, what did you tommy, google you don't want to know tommy's an incognito window That's you don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had the VPN ripping. Um, uh, I thought that this guy was just like a fucking 
podcaster, Charlie Kirk type. This guy's running for Senate, I think. This guy's like running for a real office. What? Yeah. That guy's running for Senate? I kind of saw a penis. I did too. Oh, I thought that was the point. I definitely saw a penis. For people I'm, listening at home, I'm pretty sure it's a penis. <laughs> they got me. They got me. So that's what Disney's up against. All right. So anyway, I, I don't know. There's no segue from that, guys. There's no segue. Um, there bef- rarely is there- from a giant <laughs> blue penis. Uh, before we move on, uh, it's, it's important for all of us to remember that no matter how Democratic campaigns choose to handle these issues, we all have a role to play here. Uh, and I hope that these, uh, these last two segments have really crystallized what the stakes are in, in 2022. Obviously, this is going to be a tough year. Um, and there are a lot of factors that, that we cannot control. But uh, our team at Vote Save America is focused, as usual, uh, on what we can control. So uh, if all of you go to votesaveamerica.com slash midterms, um, you can sign up to get connected with actions that that you can take right now. Uh, We will host events where we lay out midterm strategy. We will help train you to become organizers. Um, You can pick a region of the country to focus on for the midterms. We have the East, Midwest, South, and West. Um, We are trying to get 40,000 signups by the end of May in order to be ready for November. Uh, And each each one of us is coaching a region uh, so we can make this needlessly competitive and and talk a lot of shit to each other. so everyone, please go to votesaveamerica.com slash midterms and, and sign up as soon as you can. So. All right. Uh, please welcome to the stage uh, a good friend of the pod, a, a really good friend of ours before there ever was a pod, uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. You have some fans. That may be my team. I gave them like $100 each to cheer aloud. So there they are. Some of them are single and ready to mingle. I'm happy to talk about it after the show. Um, it's great to be here. Thank wow. you, guys. Look, this is like, as we always predicted back in the Obama campaign, this is how it would end. Yeah. No, this is... Exactly. Jen's the White House press secretary. We're doing a podcast. Right. When we were on a bus eating like jello molds and rolls of turkey and things uh, exactly <laughs> where we thought we would be. This is it. Um, all right, so I want to I start with something that feels a, a bit newsy. Um, earlier today, after reports that, um, the reports that you guys are, are considering sending a senior official to, to Ukraine, uh, a reporter asked the president if he's ready to go to Ukraine himself. And I was watching this clip and then he just said, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. Um, is, is sending the president to Ukraine something that, that you guys have, like, talked about? I know there's no plan. Like, is it something that you guys are discussing? No. Okay. <laughs> no. So he's I, ready. He's just not, like... He is ready. He's ready for anything. The man likes a fast car, some aviators. He's ready to go to Ukraine. Um, <laughs> it's true. He does. Uh, we are not sending the president to Ukraine. What I will tell you is that... What Boris Johnson did is he took, I believe, an eight-hour train through a war zone to get to the middle of Ukraine. So, no, that is not in the plans for the President of the United I mean, States. We should all be maybe relieved about that. Good. He's got yeah, a few other relieved. things was, to do. I was going to say thank you. Yes, you're welcome. You're welcome, America. We need him to do a lot of things. You know what, Jen? My, my follow-up question was going to be like, all right, we all know what the risks of that would be. Like, what are the rewards? <laughs> 
But John, I'm, you are undervaluing optics. Well, uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's like, uh, yeah, we're not gonna risk the president for optics. Okay, no, good. No, um, no. Every poll, which are always correct, tells us that <laughs> inflation is the top of every voter's mind. This is something you guys have been navigating for a long time. What tools do you guys have, or things that you're thinking about doing that can help in these in the next coming months to help relieve some of the pressure that American families are feeling? Sure. I mean. One of the biggest uh, impacts on inflation, and one of the biggest reasons why it's rising, is energy prices. No shit, right? I mean, yeah. anybody who goes and puts gas in their car, you know. But if you look at the data that came out earlier this week, it's about 70% of the top line impact. So one of the things we're trying to do is take steps to lower gas prices uh, to have a huge impact in that way. We are also working on the supply chain because if you can get more goods through, this is kind of obvious, and get them on the shelves, then the prices will lower. We're also, though, we're still trying to push for getting a, a bill passed that will lower childcare, healthcare, uh, exactly, uh, things that impact elder care, people's lives. I will say, I know you guys talk about politics a little bit here. I'm going to be careful here because I don't want the Hatch Act police to, like, arrest me outside of the anthem. But The most seriously enforced law in government. <laughs> yes. A sternly <laughs> worded press release may be coming my way. But what I will say is that what Democrats could do better, all of us, I am a Democrat, I am working in the White House. I realize I have a megaphone for this. She's talking to us, John. Yeah. Well, you guys too, is... Um, the re Republicans have no plan for this, no plan to address inflation. We all agree it's a huge problem. It's the number one issue in polls. Everyone thinks costs are too high. Costs are too high. And oftentimes, we get a little cannibalistic about what our own plans are and whether they're good enough or whether they're, we're passing them fast enough or what have you. And really, if you look at the other side, there's nothing in the cupboard. They have zero plan. We all agree inflation's a problem. They have no plan to address it. We could be saying that more, and I think it would help. It's <laughs> a fair point. Yeah, I know that's right. Well, I mean, so to do that, to pass that bill, uh, obviously, you know, we have no Republicans that will give us any help on that at all. Uh, we do have to get all the Democrats in line. I won't go beyond that. We've all been down that cul-de-sac before. Um, but one thing, you know, we had Ron Klain on, uh, on Pod Save America a couple months ago, and I asked about um, student debt relief. And he said, we'll either make a decision on that in May, um, or if we extend the moratorium, um, then at least we'll make a decision on it before the moratorium ends. Yeah. So you guys extended the moratorium until, uh, I believe, August 31st. Yes. So um, is, is the president taking executive action to cancel some a level of student debt still on the table? And yeah. like, when is that going to... Yes, still on the table. Still on the table. So... Just to play out what Ron Klain was talking about. So as you said, it ends August 31st. We have to then decide whether it's extended. And what you look at is, uh, even though the economy is very strong, we created more jobs last year than any, any year in history. Um, even though that's the case, we know, as we've been talking about, costs are too high. And certainly not having to pay back student loans. Nobody's had to pay a dollar, a cent, anything in student loans since the, Joe Biden's been president. And if, if that can help people uh, ease the burden of costs in other parts of their life, that's an important thing to consider. That's a big part of the consideration. So between now and August 31st, it's either going to be extended or we're going to make a decision, as Ron referenced, about uh, canceling student debt. Now, it is also true that the president's preference has been from the beginning 
legislative action and a bill. You know why? Because bills are more permanent. Um, and uh, Congress could send him a bill, $10,000 in canceling student debt, sign it tomorrow. You can all come. You're invited to the South Lawn. We'll sign it. We'll celebrate. We'll have drinks with the money we save. Um, so that's another option. But we'll consider it before uh, the end of August. Well, yeah, and, and, and so people know that's not passing the buck to Congress. That's ensuring that if there's legislation to cancel student debt, it would be more solid and lasting yeah. than if Biden does it by executive action, which I'm, I'm sure he might. And then, of course, the courts could do what the courts the might courts, do. The courts, and God forbid, at there's a Republican in the White House one day. I mean, they can overturn these things. This is the thing with executive actions. You can go back and forth and overturn them. Um, and obviously, we want something in any of these cases where it's more permanent. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, you heard our conversation about politics and the midterms. Um, I will ask you this in your personal capacity as a Democrat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you heard the, um, the, the quote in that Vice story that I asked, asked Dan about, which is, you know, we have all these culture war attacks. And, um, and some Democrats said, well, you know, we should talk about kitchen table issues and we should sort of ignore these. How do you think about sort of like a Democratic midterm message balancing, and you are a, a message guru, like balancing... Like quite I worked a few for Dan for many years. This is the secret. <laughs> you ha you, well, I always we, knew I'd end up working for you. We see <laughs> you at the podium now. We, um, balancing a few things. Uh, what you guys have accomplished, what is left to be accomplished, what the Republicans won't do, and also these attacks that are coming in on, yeah. all of these, on all of these cultural issues. Yeah. Okay, so I think you can sum up what we should be doing in like a very simple phrase that Joe Biden uses, but other people use, it, use a lot as well, which is don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Yeah. And I kind of touched on this a little bit, but in any of those categories, that's what we need to be doing more of. Every election is a choice. You are choosing between two options. You are choosing between two visions of what the country should look like, what we should be fighting for. I do think, look, one thing on the, on the Republican and their side, there, there are some people, and maybe many, and maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, who actually believe we should be uh, doing horrible things and, and targeting transgender kids. I don't like to think about those people. I don't want to be their friend. Uh, but there are also a fair number of them who don't want to talk about inflation, the economy, COVID, any of these issues, because they have no plan and they have nothing to say. And they're like, you know what we should do? We don't know what to do about costs or COVID. Guess what? Let's target transgender kids. And that's a reality as well. And so I actually think we can talk about all of these things. Um, and what we really need to be mindful of is always comparing with what the other option is and what the alternative is. I would like to state that we have, all of us have been friends for 15 years at least. We've worked together for many years. Longer, longer. It, I mean, it's because we're like 29, so. Yeah, that's right. Since Obviously. we were, we've been friends since we were seven. Since Jen high and school. I met in 2003. Actually, just a sidebar for a second here. Because when we met the Kerry campaign, everybody was fired from the Kerry campaign or yeah, quit. You often say you quit when people are fired, just as like a little secret. But, um, <laughs> but um, everybody was fired. And we were like 23. I was in Iowa. John was in D.C. And it was like, so um, is anybody still working there? What should we do now in the I, campaign? I found out Robert Gibbs one of your predecessors at the, at the White House as a press secretary. He was my boss. I was his assistant. And um, a couple of people got fired. He quit the campaign. And um, he, he told me, I'm going out for lunch. 
And I was like, okay, cool. And then I get a, I get a call from a CNN reporter, and they're like, can you confirm that Robert Gibbs just quit the Kerry campaign? And I was like, <laughs> he told me he just went out for lunch. Right. <laughs> and then Jen called me from Iowa, and she's like, uh, what's happening there? Are you the only one left in the press office that can help us out in Iowa? Yeah. And I was like, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. It's true. It was a long Here time. Here we are. <laughs> I, I take us on that tour down memory lane and yeah. just to say <laughs> that like, it Let's focus, feels, please. no, no, it feels absurd that we were asking you news questions like we're fucking second rate Chuck Todd's up here. Like, well, we felt like we had to do it. You're the White House press secretary. You're, no, no, please, please You are the please. spokesperson More. for the United States I'm government. I'm hoping yes. we can talk about arson and Republicans. I wanted to, and then Lovett took Look, it in like that, a really bad need, direction. You need a chart to, to get to the bottom of Mickey that metaphor. Mickey and Minnie off the table. Yeah. Like lots yes. of things that I wanted yeah. to talk about. Does Joe Biden have a plan for that Mickey thing? <laughs> <laughs> but, anywho, we have to ask, and we will keep it between us. Okay. And these people, Shh. every one of whom is incredibly trustworthy. Yeah. And does not have access to social media. Yes. So it's fine. Yeah. How much longer can we expect to see you at the podium? Well, um, I will not be there forever. That is what I can confirm. Oh, a professional spokesperson, I see. <laughs> you know, um, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be a talking pointy and saying this is the best job I've ever had. It's um, amazing in so many ways. Second. Best Second, job. obviously, working for Dan uh, was the number one. Where I would like supply Dan with um, what were those candies? It was like Starburst. There was another kind. I don't remember the ones you like. Skittles. Skittles. What is anyway, this, like a Kevin McCarthy Donald Trump yeah. relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really. I mean, it's on bad. I learned a yes. lot from Dan. Okay. Um, anyway, um, but and especially in this moment, it's been really this amazing honor because when I came into this job. Um, you know, one of the conversations I had with the president and, and Dr. Biden, the first lady, who's, uh, to yes, thank you. She is a boss. She's amazing. And she, we had this conversation. And a big part of it was kind of bringing some stability and calm and returning facts. Um, I know, go figure. Um, and substance um, to the briefing room. And following Trump in, actually, in a crazy way has been this huge honor because it's like, trying to play a small role in stabilizing or, you know, easing the nerves, healing the nerves of the public in a little bit, of, in a small way. Um, but um, I talked early on about staying for a year. I've obviously stayed longer than a year. My son, who's three, still thinks I work at the Honda dealership. He loves cars, <laughs> so that's cool. My daughter, who's six and, like, a little more advanced, the other day she actually said to me, Mom, did you know there's never been a woman president? I said, I am tracking. <laughs> I'm true. So I said, Hillary Clinton came very close. There's a lot to discuss there. We'll do it later, you know? And then I said, but there's a girl vice president. It's awesome, right? So there's a, there's a girl. I mean, girl, you know, she's six. So girl speaker of the house. And she goes, is that you? Are you the speaker of the house? I was like, no, no, I'm not. So anyway. Point is, I, I won't be there forever. If I didn't have two kids, for my most important people, you guys have kids. You know how it is. Um, I would be there forever, but I need to spend time with them. I love them. I don't want to miss yeah, stuff with yeah. them. And so I don't know. I don't have a date or anything like that. But at some point, I will be watching from from somewhere well, else. I would just say that when you got the job, there was no question in our mind that you were the best qualified person on the planet for that job. And you've done it, and you've done it with all due respect to our other friends who've had the job. You've done it better than anyone else. So thank yeah. you, thank you so much, thank you. And I know, I know, like people aren't going to believe that because like we're friends with you and we're biased, but it's true. 
It's really I mean, true. just track the Thank Saki you. Bomb hashtags on Twitter. Hashtag Saki Bomb. Josh Hashtag Ernest, do you hear that? Robert Gibbs? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> they're our friends and they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, hypothetically, uh, if you were to leave, what kind of hypothetical advice would you give to your hypothetical successor? Oh, hypothetically. Okay. <laughs> um, a couple of things. Um, one is um, that, I mean, I came into this job thinking this, but uh, I, I think it's true even more now. Uh, we don't have to underestimate the intelligence of the American people. People are not stupid. We do not need to talk in a way that is like everybody's in kindergarten. People pay attention. We need to make things accessible. That's also true. I believe the best people who are communicators um, or spokespeople are ones who are also deeply knowledgeable about the issues they're going to talk about. It's not about reading talking points. This is what I would say to any successor. It's not about reading talking points. It's, you're not like a weather girl. No offense to weather girls. They're great. They tell me the weather. But like, um, it's, it's about um, being able to answer the ninth question, right? And being able to talk about things. And I, I would say, I know a number of my amazing team members are here, but I'm a little relentless at times because I want to know how to explain what a javelin, the weapon is, so that people can know what it is, right? Yeah. You want to know how to explain, is COVID a problem? Is COVID not a problem? So I'd say that's the second thing. The third thing, which I have learned the hard way, and this is the truth. If anybody ever hasn't been in the briefing room, if you've come to the briefing room, whatever, it's small. And um, there are reporters staring at you the entire time, even when they're not asking you questions. Sometimes, and actually the ASL interpreter, like the uh, sign language, American Sign Language interpreter said this in a TV interview the other day. They're very repetitive. These questions are very <laughs> repetitive. Yeah. They ask her the same question over and over again. And you have to remember, you're not at a dinner party or you're not at a bar, right? So you're not just saying to your friend, listen, I've answered your question nine times, right? You have to continue to provide the same context and information because in the age of social media and Twitter, otherwise, even the best meaning and well-meaning reporters will take one thing you said and make you what? seem like you're Satan reincarnated. That kind of cynicism has no place here. I know. There's a lot. We could talk about it, Twitter, all these things. But um, those would be my three pieces. And, you know, the last thing I would say is the best thing you can do is know what the president's thinking. I mean, that's ultimately your job, is to speak on his behalf, not on your behalf. You're speaking for his, on his behalf, what the administration thinks. If you don't know, you don't know, and you say you don't know, then you call up someone who knows, and you go give them the answer. And it doesn't have to be a gotcha situation. That was like five pieces of advice, that's so great. I don't know. That's right. I'm Exit like, memo sure. right here. There you go. It's, it's right. It's Okay, before we go, yeah. I have to ask you a question. Okay. Because we have to talk about Peter Ducey for one second. Sure. Okay. Okay. Is he a stupid son of a bitch? Or does he play a stupid son of a bitch on TV? Okay. Um, well, um, he works for a, a network. Okay. That um, provides people with questions that nothing personal to any individual, including Peter Ducey, but might make anyone sound like a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> so, well handled. Um, well, here's what I, can I tell, can I, I don't know if this is not going to be popular in this crowd, but can I tell a nice Peter Ducey story? Yeah, a very quick I mean. one. <laughs> okay. Come on. Well, here's the thing. The president did call him a stupid son of a bitch, right? So that happened and it was not like. Not in the talking points? 
It was like, oh, okay, that happened. So what do you do about it? The president called him. He's talked about this a little bit. The president called him and apologized, what have you. So he went on TV that night, and I actually watched Sean Hannity to see what he said. My mind was, like, really bending and hurting. I mean, there was, if you can imagine, it was, like, a flames, and it was, like, crime, crime, crime. And Kamala, the vice president's, like, walking through the flames and crime. I don't even know what was happening. But Sean Hannity asked him about, the, you know, what the president had said and what he said back. And he could have been, like he's a son of a bitch, or I'm standing up for whatever. He could have said anything. And instead he said, you know, he called me. We had a really nice conversation. I'm just asking my questions. He's doing his job. So I will say that was a moment of grace. You don't have to like everything Peter Ducey says or does, but that is certainly a moment of grace by Peter Ducey. This is why before you were the world-famous press secretary, everyone called Jen Psaki the nicest person in Washington. I hate the word nice. I, I do appreciate, I know, isn't like it's the word, can, you could, like anything is better than nice. Because nice like, I didn't make it boring. up. I'm just saying what people say. No, no, I, I know. It's, an, it's, a, it's a lovely compliment. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. And you have been a, a brilliant press secretary and public servant. And um, when we come back, Jen has graciously agreed to stay for a game. And Mike Birbiglia is going to join us as well. Pod Save America is brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a scam. That's why. It's a scam. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 per year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. Look, everyone needs this. You get all your subscriptions, and you keep renewing every month, and you're like, I didn't want to renew that. I barely wanted to sign up in the first place. You sign up with Truebill, they're going to cancel them all for you, so you can go about canceling the people who need canceling. Yeah. You know? Sounds good to me. Truebillion has over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash crooked. Go right now, Truebill.com slash crooked. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash crooked. Pod Save America is brought to you by Bombas. When it comes to my socks, uh, you know, I want them to be comfortable. I don't want to be wearing uncomfortable socks. And Bombas socks are the most comfortable I've ever worn. But that's just one reason why I love them. The other is the good that I'm doing being a Bombas customer. Because for every Bombas item you buy, they donate an item to those experiencing homelessness. Bombas started by making socks after learning they're the number one most requested item in homeless shelters. Bombas socks are super soft and made to last. With their 100% happiness guarantee, they're confident you'll be happy with your Bombas or you get your money back. From fabric to fit to feel, every Bombas sock is made to feel good on everyone. Uh, I got all kinds of Bomba socks. Um, what about you guys? Oh, yeah. Got a whole bunch of different colors, some yeah. some, some bright colors, some cool patterns. Mm-hmm. Very comfortable socks. I could use some more. Yeah, I need, some, I need to re-up yeah, my re-up. socks. Got a lot of holes. Yeah, me too. Hate those holes. Get this. Thanks to Bomba's customers, they've just donated their 50 millionth item. There's so much more comfort to have and so much more to give with Bombas. Go get 20% off your first order at bombas.com slash crooked. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crooked for 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash crooked. Pod Save America is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. I think it's a great idea to keep learning new skills. 
Uh, talk about a few things you'd like to learn in the next few months. How to own a plant without killing it. Haven't been able to do that my entire life. How to speak he's Spanish. Gotta, he's got to water it sometimes. How to speak Spanish. That's probably not going to happen for me in the next few months. But it is something I'd like to learn. How to make the perfect pizza crust. Same. If you're always learning, it keeps you sharp. Like ZipRecruiter. Their AI is always learning. So if you're hiring, their AI gets better and faster at finding the right candidates for all of your roles. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash crooked. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. Then it proactively presents these candidates to you. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job, which encourages them to apply faster. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the U.S. based on G2 ratings. And now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash crooked. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-R-O-O-K-E-D. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. And we're back. Jen, you're a pro. And because we've worked together, you know that I am not. <laughs> so now it's time for a game. To help us play tonight, please welcome the incredibly funny comedian, Mike Verbiglia. Thanks. Hey. Hi, Mike. Wow. Hey. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome, nice welcome. You. Thanks for coming. Wow. This is really, it's like you're, you're having the, the Beatles, uh, Jen Saki, and then you're, and now Steely Dan. Yeah. Uh, now, no, now, now those monkeys. Here they are, those monkeys. <laughs> the I went after the Beatles. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm, how, I'm how, so glad, by the way, for just the listeners at home, that you were able to gather 3,000 undecided voters. <laughs> we're going to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to make our case. Yeah. Uh, None of them are vaccinated. So. <laughs> See how this 3,000 unvaccinated swing voters <laughs> in D.C. of all places. Hard to find. Hard to find. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, how are you with on-the-spot questions? Woo! Uh, I'm not as good as Jen is. Uh, Jen is, I mean, if, I, I don't know many comedians who could deal with hecklers as well as Jen does. And if she does leave politics, you always will have a job at Go Bananas in Cincinnati or Uncle Funny's in Fort Lauderdale. I mean, these are real career options for you. Thank you. It's a good Thank backup you. plan. Something to think about. <laughs> Something to think about, a switch. So, Jen, uh, speaking of hecklers, what would you say is the weirdest question you've gotten in your time in the briefing room? There are many, but um, the weirdest question, I think, that sticks with me and sticks with the members of the press team is, will you commit to us today not to euthanize the president's dog? <laughs> what? Yes. Will you commit that you will not kill the president's dog? 
Yes, I will commit not to kill the president's dog. No matter how many people he attacks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Wow. We'll sweep him under the rug. <laughs> you think Who Doug, asked that? Who think, asked that question? You think Doug had COVID? No, no. He was attacked. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We'll cut this. Now we'll leave it in. Jen. The job of press secretary is one of the most public and challenging roles in politics. Every day, the White House press secretary faces tough questions from journalists and Peter Ducey. But who... And you know what? I, I was backstage, and I heard the nice words. I'm still doing what's on the card. But who could replace Jen Psaki? Who could fill these shoes? Tonight, we're going to figure it out in a game we're calling, as the president has long said... Hold on, I'm supposed to do some vamping. The vamping has begun. Mike, what brings you to our nation's capital? Uh, I'm here at the Warner Theater Friday and Saturday night. Friday and Saturday night at the Warner Theater? I'm doing a show that I wrote uh, called The Old Man and the Pool. That's exciting. Go see Mike. I have some breaking news for everybody. Um, and, And Jen, thank you for being willing to do this on stage. I think it's pretty unorthodox. Very. I can say that right now we know that the next press secretary is one of two candidates. One is Tommy Vitor, celebrated podcast host and a former spokesman for the National Security Council who spent a decade on Capitol Hill and in the White House. Thank you. I'm just standing up because it feels right. This is my fucking podium, buddy. And the other candidate is Mike Birbiglia, a comedian with absolutely no experience whatsoever who famously jumped through a second-story window while sleepwalking and now has to sleep wearing oven mitts so he can't, technically speaking, get out. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, we're going to need both of you to answer each question, and at the end, Jen and I will declare a winner who the next White House has legally agreed to make the press secretary. It's like America's got talent, but you wouldn't know it from this press pool. (laughs) Tommy and Mike, are you both ready? Yeah, I think so. I feel good. Yeah. All right, let's do this. All right, here we go. I'll kick it off. Tommy, what does President Biden say to critics who claim he isn't doing enough to bring down the cost of health care in this country? John, thank you. That's such an important question. Uh, I would keep in mind that the American Rescue Plan did more to lower costs and expand access to health care than anything since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, with families saving an average of $2,400 on their annual premiums. A big fucking deal, as one might say. (laughs) President Biden also fixed the family glitch by executive order, and unlike the family glitch that produced Don and Eric, this (laughs) is a problem we can solve. Thank you. Wow, okay. Okay. Thank you, Tommy. Um, Mike, same question to you. Oh, um, well, I think Tommy covered most of what I was going to say. But I'll say this. A few years ago, I went for my annual checkup. Which I always dread, because I have a lot of pre-existing conditions which I call conditions, because everything is existing, if it does. 
And everything is pre, unless it happened on the way to the appointment. And when I see that checklist of pre-existing conditions, I circle the whole thing and I cross out pregnant. So, so the doctor asked me to do the pulmonary test where you blow into a tube and there's a ball in it that simulates blowing out a candle which is why I call it the birthday cake test, because it basically tells you how many birthdays you have left. <laughs> so I did it, I go, whew. And the doctor said, go ahead and do it. <laughs> and I said, I did. And he goes, do it again. So I gave it a little more. <laughs> and he goes, I don't know what to tell you, Mike. If I was going by this machine right here, I would say you're having a heart attack right now. And I said, if I were having a heart attack, I would come here. And I would ask you, so am I having a heart attack? He said, I don't think so. I said, I'm going to need a more concrete answer than that. He said, I'm going to send you across town to a cardiologist for a second opinion. I don't enjoy the term second opinion. I was under the impression this first analysis was fact-based. I didn't know we were taking swings in the dark. If I knew it were opinion time, I'd point out I don't enjoy sitting on paper. It makes me feel like a chicken. And I feel like you could digitize some of those forms in the waiting room. I feel like I filled a few of those out before. In closing, What was the question? Wow, I gotta say, Jen. That was, um, that was unorthodox. Un and good, I thought. Yeah, I, interesting. Interesting. Interesting approach. Um, Tommy, uh, President that? Biden recently extended the pause on federal student loan repayments for a third time, this time through August 31st. Is the president worried about a backlash if he ultimately decides to cancel a portion of student debt held by young people today? I'm not the fucking president. Um, thank you for that question, Ms. Ducey. Just kidding. Uh, yes. That yes. got weird. <laughs> it goes with a bit. Yes, Peter. The president is terrified about this. Nothing frightens him more than the possibility that he will be celebrated by Gen Z, like some kind of silent generation Jojo Siwa. <laughs> Joe Biden would hate to be featured in millions of TikToks as the president who simps for financial freedom. No cap. You're right, that's what keeps him up at night. Wow, wow. Mike, same question for you. Apparently Tommy got a hold of my notes backstage. Uh-huh. Uh, that was pretty much my answer. Wow, okay. Um, but additionally, I'll say this. Yep, yeah. Working the podium you a get, little bit. Is that how you yeah, do it? Yeah, it's great. Additionally, I'll say I went to school, you know, at Georgetown down the street here, and uh, I had to take a science requirement. I took a computer science class, and it was way over my head. And after the first class, I was like, I'm not going to go to this anymore. 
So the, I went to the class before the final to find out what would be on the final. Mm -hmm. The question was about student loans. Yep. No, no, no. Thank you so much for repeating it. Jen, I know how you feel where they repeat the question <laughs> after you're already doing the answer. We're all in the same boat, you know, we're all just doing the same thing up here. So, so I, I'm taking this computer science class and I, I show up to the class before the final to find out what would be on the final. And the guy sitting next to me says, do you think we'll get back the final? And I was like, oh no, we took the final. And I ran to the computer science department, and there's my professor, and I said, sir, I didn't know his name. <laughs> True story. I go, I'm in your class. I misunderstood the syllabus. I missed the final. He didn't even look at me, he looked at the floor, and he goes, you get the worst grade. And I go, I get a zero? And he goes, oh, you get the grade that the person who did the worst on the test got on the test. And I thought, that's great news. Because that's what I would have gotten if I had taken the test. Well, it turns out the person who did the worst on the test passed the test. So I passed the test and I passed the class. And I am proud to be an American. Which is all to say, I shouldn't have to pay for that. Once again. That was a really, it was a really strong end. I, I think, like the America part at I the end. I think what's amazing about it is, I think what's amazing about it is, look, I think obviously Tommy is bringing a lot of technical skill to what this. What the fuck? But as we saw in the Olympics, it's not just about technical skill, it's about artistry. Yeah. It's about creativity. And Personal I'm, stories. And I'm not that saying was about Tommy, great inflation. You're doing, I'm not, no one's saying you're not doing better. But we are saying that Mike's doing something different. Hey, hey stick, with, stick with it, buddy. I think you're doing a good job. <laughs> you're doing fine, Tommy. You're doing fine. Hurts my feelings. Okay. Um, Tommy, this is another shot for you. Uh, Tommy, mm -hmm. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was unable to articulate, I know, any... <laughs> But that's not professional. Keep, keep it clean, Tommy. Sure. Any moral red lines during a recent Axios interview and said he would support Trump as the Republican nominee, no matter what. What is President Biden's response to this? Does the president have any moral red lines? Does Joe Biden have moral red lines? That's the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course he does. You know how I know? Because no one's ever asked him that fucking question. You know? You only ask a guy if he has moral red lines when you know he's a fucking sociopath. Joe Biden is surrounded by moral red lines. He's like Catherine Zeta-Jones in that movie from the 90s with Sean Connery. Entrapment, yep. Thank you, Mike. He is pretty good. You have to keep your word. You have to treat people with respect. Joe Biden always puts the toilet seat down. Joe Biden wipes down equipment at the gym that he did not even use. <laughs> Joe Biden texts you back and he finds the perfect emoji to put a button on that combo. <laughs> the point is, Joe Biden thinks Mitch McConnell, he thinks of him as a colleague and a friend who is evil and who he hates. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
That was a good answer. That was actually that was pretty good, even for Tommy. That was good. Even for Tommy, brought a good. little spirit to yeah, that a little one. Spirit a little to spirit to it. He's sort of rising. Spirit. He's rising to Mike's level. Same question for you, Mike. What is President Biden's reaction to McConnell saying he will endorse Trump, no matter what? When I was in high school, I joined the wrestling team, which was a huge mistake. My teammates explained to me. Because wrestling practice wasn't like soccer practice where you could sort of blend in. You had to wrestle. <laughs> or in my case, be wrestled upon. <laughs> by these young, muscly gentlemen whose crotches would inevitably be pressed up against my face <laughs> as though they were doing a victory dance. All the while, I'm wearing a women's bathing suit called a singlet, but I was building character. And... That character was a lifeguard from the 1920s. <laughs> of course, I wasn't strong enough to compete on behalf of the organization, but I would travel with the team. If there was time permitting, they'd send us B-teamers out to wrestle their B-teamers. And when they did this, I developed a strategy to be pinned as quickly as possible so this portion of my life will be over. The strategy ran into a snag when I encountered an opponent who had the same strategy. <laughs> so we're out there for a while. And we're flashing each other looks with our eyes, like, you can pin me, you know. Here's my knee, here's my head, you know. Yeah. It was a stalemate. But at one point I found myself pinning this guy, I, I don't even know how. My teammates were shocked. They cleared the bench. They go, Mike, squeeze! And I squeeze. And all of a sudden, there's blood all over the mat. I know. I thought, I killed this guy. I'm going to be on the run from the law for the rest of my life. For Bigley the Wrestling Bandit, one pin, one kill. I realize it's my own blood streaming out of my nose onto the mat based on no physical injury whatsoever. Just from the sheer nervousness of possibly winning anything at all. Ref blows the whistle, he goes blood on the mat. They plug my nose, they go, Mike, get back out there, do what you just did. I had no idea what I had just done. I get back out there and I'm pinned immediately. And that would be the closest I would ever come to winning a wrestling match for the rest of my life. So I've never won a wrestling match, but what I do have is character. <laughs> and you know who doesn't have character? Mitch McConnell, thank you very much. Wow, I gotta say, I gotta say, look, I am shocked. Look, obviously we came into this, you and I talked backstage. Yeah. We thought there's no, I mean, obviously Tommy's a seasoned pro. There was no chance. Tommy, I played high school sports. You sure you did. The, the point is, the point is Mike is doing things at this podium. I mean, we haven't seen this. I mean, not since the days of D.D. Myers. Have we seen this level? The physicality the of The physicality all. of D.D. <laughs> Myers. This isn't figure skating. Tommy, don't a be upset. You're doing your best. Mike, a storyteller. A, a storyteller up there. And what is politics if not... Telling story stories, telling. storytelling. And physically moving and, and physically about moving blood. and talking. Exactly. Tommy, final question yeah. for you. Sure. Name five cabinet members. Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. Some Tony stands in the house. Secretary of Treasurer, Janet Yellen. Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. 
Uh, Attorney General Merrick Gardland, pick up the pace, buddy. Interior Secretary Deb Haaland. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo. Oh, I'm so sorry. I accidentally named six. Wow. Okay. Same question for you. Um, I'll give you a hint. There's 17 more options. So it's easy. Go for it. Look, I could name all 500 cabinet members. <laughs> we all could, right? We're all on the same page about all their names. What is this, a quiz? I mean, any of us could talk about anything that we know about or love. I could talk about pizza for 15 minutes. I love pizza. I love pizza so much, I get excited when I see the word plaza. Because the word pizza itself is exciting. It's got pizza in it. Each of the Z's has two slices. The A is a slice. It's five slices in one word, which is a literary device I invented called Anamata Pizza. Wow. Here's the thing. So obviously, we have a lot of information, Jen. It's time for us to make our decision. Two incredible candidates. Yeah. Um, obviously, Tommy came into this as the front runner. He has a lot of actually spokesperson experience. He actually yeah. did a lot of and of substantive knowledge. Substantive yeah. knowledge, and you can't discount that. No, not a. It's spend. important. It's a. It's a quality. It's a quality. Yeah, right. A right. factor. It's obviously a. We're not saying, Tommy. We're not saying it's not a factor. It's a. Yeah. It's and it's not me. It's you. And he's not bad to look at, Tommy. I mean, look at that. Look at these guns. Now they're just. I mean, I'm just trying to butter him up because I think we know what we have to do, unfortunately. I think we do. Um, we need something fresh and new. Something unexpected. Something that the political press won't be, won't be able to, they'll, they'll be caught, off, caught on their heels. Because something physical. Someone who will move around the room. Someone who, will, someone who will shake things up. Shake the Washington game up. You know, flip the board. Catan pieces everywhere. I think it's time, Jen, I think it's time to announce. Yeah, it's time to the announce. Next you should do it. The next yeah. White House press secretary. Yeah. It's Mike Berbiglia. Mike. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so sorry, Tommy. Wow. We have a winner. And you can see Mike Berbiglia, our next White House press secretary, at Warner Theater Friday and Saturday of this week. And at his new show, The Old Man in the Pool, at Chicago's Seven Wolf Theater in May, or at the Mark Taper Forum in August in Los Angeles. Mike Berbiglia, thank you so much. Thank you. Jen Saki, thank you, thank you so yeah. much. Thanks, Tommy. Rigged. That was rigged. That's our show for tonight. Uh, a, a big thanks to Jane Coaston for co-hosting. Uh, Simone Sanders was supposed to be here. She couldn't be here, but we are going to get her on a show in the future. So uh, we're excited about that. Thank you to Jen Saki. Thank you to Mike Birbiglia. VoteSaveAmerica.com slash midterms. Go there now. Sign up. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you so night, much. Night, everybody. Bye, everybody. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. 
Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montuth. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash media. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something you need to get off your chest? What is your outlet for working through the things that stress you out? Uh, you know, I, I do the crossword. That helps. I'm also, I also go to therapy, you know, and I say, uh, this week, I don't want to make any progress. She's like, ugh, that's what she said last week. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com PSA.